It's always just the next thing. What are you going to do next? So you go to high school, you get good grades in high school, so you go to college and you get a good job. I kind of took a break from that. And I was able to just explore the world and explore myself. And I came back so much more mature. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle. Spell A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part space-based law series. In part one, we experienced a day in Baker Arena's life as a commercial space and technology attorney at Maxar Technologies. In this episode, we'll take you through Baker's career journey so you know what skills and experience are necessary to become a corporate counsel. Baker has always loved to learn and always had faith in himself that he would figure out the career thing when he was ready. So he spent a few years having the time of his life after undergrad teaching skiing and whitewater rafting lessons before he jumped into law school. He also made it a point to pay off his law and undergrad loans in two years. So much to learn from his experience. So let's learn how he did it so you can too. Where did you grow up and what was it about Colorado that attracted you to want to spend undergrad and then onward? So I grew up mostly in Atlanta, Georgia from ages six onward. And I've always loved the outdoors. I loved nature. And so when I was looking at colleges and schools, I decided that I wanted to come west and I wanted to be part of nature. I want to be part of the mountains. So that's what initially drew me out. And then when I moved into my dorm room at Colorado College, um, where I went to undergrad, my dorm overlooked Pikes Peak, and my dad asked me, he's, he's like, you're not coming back, are you? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and so that was almost 13 years ago now. He told us his choice to major in political science and art history had a lot to do with the political, economical, and cultural change the country was going through in 2008, the beginning of the Obama years, and during the 2008 recession. I was fascinated by it and how the country was shifting, how systems were changing and how the economy was growing and changing and becoming ever more diverse and ever more technical. And so the political science really was interesting to me because it was like, who's in charge? Who's making these calls? How are we going to go forward? And I was just curious to learn that. What was the goal, your career goals in undergrad at that point? So my career goals were a little different. Um, I didn't really have any career goals in undergrad. I love to learn. And so I didn't really go into it expecting to be a politician. I didn't go into it expecting to go to law school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to hone my skills so that eventually when I'm out of school, I can do whatever I want. And I know that I would have the academic and intellectual tools to handle that. So going through school, political science, and you said it was to learn to learn. Can you elaborate on what that means? And also kind of piggybacking on that, what did you, what did you learn in undergrad that you take with you today and you still use today? That's a great question. To learn to learn means to 
cultivate and nurture your curiosity to say, I don't know anything about that. Let's go figure it out and let's go learn. Let's make myself a better person in the process. I really believe strongly in continual learning and continual growth. And so it was basically a growth mindset that I kind of had always had. There is something I don't know anything about. I have to throw myself into it. I have to completely immerse myself. And I want to come out on it with enough knowledge to be able to have a reasonably intelligent conversation on it. I guess what I use today now is that I, every day I come into a new situation, especially at work, where I don't know what half the stuff that our company does. Because it's so complex, it's so cool, and it's so interesting, and it's always changing. So I come into work every day, and I need to be able to adapt to a situation quickly. And I need to be able to pick up on something and be able to help my team right away. And so that's kind of the learning to learn. Baker worked a bunch of odd-end jobs in college to support himself financially, and when graduation rolled around, Baker's sentiments were much more relaxed than most. His post-grad career plans kind of fell apart, but nature was calling his name with law school in the back of his mind. I was too busy having fun with my friends, to be honest, <laughs> to really get too worried about it. But for me personally, I actually wanted to work for the United States Foreign Service. After graduation, I took the foreign service exam, I passed, and then I got through a couple round of interviews, but I ended up getting rejected. And so I was with a buddy that night after I got rejected. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate. And he just said, well, I'm going to go move to Aspen and teach skiing. If you want to come with me. And I was like, oh, sure. And I had never been to Aspen, sight unseen, about 20 seconds. So I kind of knew that I was just going to move to the mountains. And so... More than anything, I didn't really stress about not having a job. It was 2011 and the economy wasn't good for entry-level jobs then. So I just like, I'm going to have fun for a couple years and see where that takes me. So I really wasn't worried about it. I knew I was going to be okay, regardless of whatever I felt, fell into. So I kind of just kept an open mind and had fun. Interesting. That takes a lot of confidence to uh, be that chill, I think, right? Would you say you well, were confident? No, I mean, it's not that I'm... I wouldn't say confidence. I just knew that I was going to be okay. And it's just a deep faith that things are going to work out. And part because I know how to learn and I know how to write and I know how to grow as a person. So wherever I find myself, I can, based on my college experience, I knew I could adapt and learn to, and grow in that situation and be okay, regardless of where I'm going to be. So let's talk about the skiing. Can you tell us what that was like? What I'll be honest, my job now is awesome, but teaching skiing is one of my favorite jobs in the world I've ever had. <laughs> so I was I went to Aspen and Aspen has a, an amazing ski school filled with really, really talented, intelligent instructors. And it's a bunch of really interesting and cool people. Though over there at the ski school they say, look, we can make you a good skier, we can't make you an interesting person and we can't make you a good teacher. And so they really hired based on personality and skiing skills obviously important, but they could teach you how to ski. And so the people I worked with were all super charismatic. They were all college educated. They were all like, some of them had masters, some of them had law degrees. They were all just really, really intelligent individuals and super smart and charismatic people who just love the mountains. And that's an infectious environment. You just go to work every day. You're looking forward to it. Even if you had three-year-olds, never ever, you had six three-year-olds on who were just going to cry or maybe <laughs> pee in their ski boots, you still just enjoyed it. And you got to share your love for the mountains and your passion for the sport with hundreds of people throughout the year. And it's, it's incredibly rewarding. 
Living in a mountain town like Aspen, the sports are seasonal. So in the winter, Baker spent his days ski instructing, and in the summer, he'd work as a whitewater rafting instructor. He did have a break from April to mid-May, and he took that time to travel all over the U.S. To be a whitewater rafter instructor, he needed to complete a certification course. Ended up within like three weeks having my own group of six souls down the river. Oh and, um, and rafting is wild. It's exhausting and it's hard work and you're working 15 to 18 hour days at times you're driving hundreds of miles to go take customers to the river but at the end of this summer you are super tan you're super ripped from carrying people <laughs> around all day and you drink more beer in the parking lot after rafting every day with your coworkers than most people do at happy hour so let's talk about law school Okay. 2013 is when you um, enrolled in University of Colorado School of Law. What was the decision-making process in actually wanting to apply to law school at first? Um, for me, at least, I knew I loved teaching skiing and I loved being on the river, but there was a certain part of me that at the end of the day, I'd be exhausted, but I wish I could have used my brain a little more. Like, you know, when you're teaching skiing and you're on the river, you're obviously educating people about ecology and the mountains and teaching them. But it wasn't as intellectually stimulating as my previous 21 years of education had been. And so I decided that, you know, maybe it's time to go back to grad school. By the time I graduated, there might be an economy to have a, get a job in. And still, 2013 was still a tough time. And so that was kind of the impetus behind it. But it was mostly I wanted to kind of challenge myself a little more and I kind of wanted to make a real career that was a little more sustainable. Obviously, skiing, rafting, fly fishing, hiking, mountain biking and golfing 300 plus days a year is awesome. But I wanted something just a little more sustainable and I wanted to have like a lease that lasted more than five months. And I wanted to have just more of a future rather than just the immediate day to day. And that's awesome. And I still love it and I miss it all the time. But I wanted just a little more. And you had to obviously take the LSAT and everything, and this was two years outside of after school. What was that like light bulb moment, that that real trigger moment where you were like, all right, I'm going to start studying and this is where I'm going? Well, I had taken the LSAT a year, like at a, uh, a couple of years or probably in 2012 at first, just out of curiosity to see how I could do it. I didn't know you had to study for it. Um, <laughs> it's like the SAT, right? You don't have to study. Yeah. You just take it. You, know, you either know it or you don't. It's just like right? an IQ test, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, so I took it just kind of out of the blue and you know, I didn't even have a pencil. I just showed up and I, I was a little out of my element, a little out of like just a little rusty. I did okay on it actually, surprisingly, but it wasn't good enough to really get into a school that I wanted. And then I think it was that second summer where I realized that, you know what, like this is like I'm tired, uh, I'm working my tail off, but I'm not making as much money as I want and I'm not really getting what I want out of it. Let's just buckle down and study for six weeks before the test. And I will say that studying for the LSAT when all your buddies are out having fun in the mountains is the hardest thing to do. You can imagine. <laughs> yeah. How do you mean, stay disciplined? I, Oh, I didn't. I mean, I would, I, would, <laughs> I would study probably three to four hours a week just to kind of get myself more familiar, just to try to figure out the logic games part of the LSAT and just trust that my reading comprehension was good enough. So the LSAT was, it was a challenge, but it was something that I didn't really stress out too much about because I was still like my backup 
plan, my BATNA was fine. Uh, you know, I was still teaching C and still having fun, but it was definitely something that I wanted to do better on just so I could get into school and then give myself the option later. But uh, you did well enough to get into University of Colorado, so that's good. <laughs> what yeah, was yeah, uh, what right? was the curriculum like, and what was it like switching gears going from two years out of school back into school? The I am so glad that I took time off in between school. It gave me such a newfound appreciation for getting back into school and actually having purpose in school. I feel like a lot of times, especially you know, I had a fairly I had an upper middle class upbringing where, you know, it was just expected you would go to college and you was always just the next thing. What are you going to do next? So you go to high school, you get good grades in high school, so you get a good college and you get a good job. I kind of took a break from that and I was able to just explore the world and explore myself. And I came back so much more mature. So coming into class, you know, I was the one instead of my parents and grandparents helping out with college, it was me who was paying for all of it. So if I was going to go into that much debt, I needed to be intentional about it. And so I came back with a lot more maturity. Obviously, you know, that first day in the classroom sucks when <laughs> you're, it's a nice day outside. It's like autumn in Boulder and it's like sunny and 75 and you want to go for a mountain bike ride, but you have to go to civil procedure or contracts instead. That kind of sucks. But it was, and it was a little bit of an adjustment to get back in school mentality. But I had found that, you know, my Colorado college education had prepared me so well for CU. And in fact, there was, I think my graduating class had 150 students at CU's law school and eight of them were Colorado college alumni. And so it just pre it prepared all of us extremely well. The first year law school is a standardized curriculum. You're taking the basic classes like torts, contracts, property, civil procedure, criminal law, constitutional law, legal writing, you get the point. In terms of specializations, Baker came in with an open mind. He thought being a mountain guy would mean he'd be interested in water or environmental law, but that ended up not being the case. One thing he knew did interest him in law school was being a lead notes and comments editor for the Colorado Natural Resources, Energy, and Environmental Law Review and teaching as an assistant. Oh, it was awesome because I had actually published a piece my second year that was published in the Law Review. And it was really, it was awesome to have your piece published, but it was even cooler to have five out of your six students get their work published. Um, There's a lot more satisfaction in it. And I'm sure you learned a lot just by guiding them through the process and teaching them, right? You hear people all the time say you learn the most by teaching. Do you oh, agree absolutely. with that? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you learn the most by teaching. And these students, basically, when you write your article, you're writing a 30 to 50 page scholarly research paper on an art, a topic that you're the only expert on. And so when I wrote my article, I learned all about a specific um, waste energy project and how the legal regime disincentivized uh, carbon cap or methane capture for power generation and kind of proposed a policy solution. And when I was an editor, you learn a lot from your peers. And, you know, a lot of my, all my peers at C University of Colorado were super intelligent and super well thought out. And so it was a pleasure to learn from them. While in law school, Baker was very proactive about paying off his student loans from undergrad onward. So he kind of fell into modeling and acting while he was an intern at the company Crocs. One of the things I had to do was do an agreement with the modeling agency. And so I ended up dropping off the 
contracts and working with them pretty directly. And I just ask them, Hey, would you guys ever need any help? Just kind of jokingly. And they're like, yeah, send us some pictures. Let's see if you could do it. (laughs) And I had no experience and no clue what I was doing, but they set me up with a photographer, got a couple of test shots. And then, and it's very side gig part-time, but it was, it's super fun. I was in a Coors banquet commercial a couple of years ago and that went, that was a national commercial. And so that was super cool seeing how like they actually make the beer foam and get it all glistening, glistening was really, really interesting. And I was a very minor role of handshake guy number one um, <laughs> in the commercial, but it was, uh, it was, uh, it was super fun. And they pay pretty well too, so that didn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's a very minor role. Hey, I handshake guy number one is better than no handshake at all. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> better absolutely. than number two. No. Yeah, oh, handshake <laughs> guy number two, that guy, don't even get me started. <laughs> By the time Baker was working at Crocs in law school, he didn't know what direction to take in a law profession, so he figured why not apply to a bunch of companies and see what was out there. What he learned from working for a company in their law department is you don't really need to specialize in any particular part of the law. You're more of a generalist, as he put it. So you might deal with a contract for a sales agent one day. You might deal with a trademark licensing deal. The next day you might deal with a shoe manufacturing deal the next day, and then you might deal with the lease the next day. So it's there's a lot of different areas of law that I just wanted to keep an open mind and explore. And so that's why I decided to go in-house and Crocs, they, all of the attorneys were CU alums who work there as well. And so I ended up working with them. They hired an intern every summer who would work through the school year and I just loved it. And they were phenomenal people to learn for. And so I just stayed. And so during the summer I would work you know, a full eight to five, nine to five, 40 hours a week. And during the school year, I probably worked three or four days a week, 20 to 25 hours, depending. And when I was there, Crocs was going through a bit of a restructuring. So it really depended. I did a lot of trademark licensing. So if you are a company that wants to put the Crocs logo on your shirts, I would have been the guy who did the agreement. I did a lot of intellectual property development work. So when I would work with our design team to say, okay, we can put these designs on shoes, but these designs, let's not do that one. That's might, there might cause issues with that. And then I did just a lot of random procurement contracts. So, you know, any company needs to buy software. So, and they need to buy services like professional services, consulting, IT development, all of that. And so I would be the guy who would take the first crack at that. And all these things I would take the first crack at, and then I would send it to the attorneys for review. And so basically they kind of treated me like a junior attorney in that regard. And so I would have a lot of hands-on experience drafting and I actually got to negotiate a couple of contracts, which was terrifying. Oh my gosh. They were there in the room with me helping, but it was, (laughs) it was a great learning experience. So law school graduation is a little different than undergrad. Baker said graduation from law school is bittersweet because it's like, hey, you're done with school, but then you have to study for the bar exam. At this point, Baker didn't have a job lined up after graduation. He had six figures of debt and a very difficult exam to take. Throughout my life, I've never been a super strong studier. I've always had a good memory and been able to get away with a lot. For the bar exam, I didn't want to take that chance. Um, So I actually did a study program and I did a review course. So they have a bunch of commercial companies that do 
actual bar exam review courses that they teach you everything you need to know. They teach you how to take the test. So I did that and I followed the review course to the T. And so I would get up at, I don't know, probably seven in the morning and I work from seven till about four in the afternoon, obviously taking a break, go for a run, go for a bike ride, go work out or whatever, and then just do it again the next day. And so I did that probably five or six days a week for eight to 10 weeks just to study for it. And then the bar exam itself, I got in and I'm shaking because, you know, I've been thinking about the bar exam since 2013, it's 2016 now, since my first day of school. And I knew that I had to do well, but you know, the first couple, the first question, you're like, Oh my God, this is so hard. And then you just kind of settle into the groove. And like what we talked about earlier, Matt, like I knew that I was going to be okay. And so I never really stressed about it anymore and ended up, passing with flying colors. How does it feel to uh, be debt-free? It feels amazing. And, you know, when I, when I graduated, I was looking at this debt and I was stressed. And so the first thing I did was refinance my loans through a private company because I was paying five, six, seven percent on graduate school loans, which is insane. And I got really upset actually and wrote letters to Congress. I wrote letters to the president um, saying like, why you know, graduate school loans are so much more expensive than undergrad. Why is this the case? What can we do to change this? Um, and actually, our my congressman, Jared Polis, who's now the Colorado governor, gave me a call about my letter, which was super cool. So I was, long story short, though, I, I refinanced my loans and I cut my interest rate by two thirds. And so with a large number of debt, or a large amount of debt, high interest is the killer. So I got rid of that. Uh, as soon as I could. And then I, instead of a 10-year term, I refinanced to a five-year term, which gave me a better interest rate. And then I just lived cheap. So I didn't spend a ton on rent. I didn't spend a ton. You know, when you become an attorney, it's more money than you most people have ever had. Um, and it's not, a, it's, it's an upper middle class income. And so it's not a ton, but you, a lot of people fall into the trap. Oh, I make X, Y, and Z. Now I have to have an Audi. Now I have to have a BMW. No, you don't. You have to pay off your loan. So I still drive a 16-year-old car. I live a fairly modest apartment. Like I don't spend a ton of money except on, I only spend money on traveling um, and trips and that's where my passion is. But I didn't really spend a ton of money on clothes. I don't really have the fancy shoes or anything like that. So it's just living modestly and throwing as much money as I could every month towards that debt to get taken care of. His first job in law was as an associate attorney for Perkins Kuai LLP. But leading up to that, Baker was networking like crazy, meeting attorneys for coffee, attending events, just getting his name and face out in the industry. One of the attorneys he worked with at Crocs passed his resume through to the law firm that rejected him at first, but hired him after realizing they needed some extra hands. A couple months later where they said, oh, actually, you know what, we have a job in technology transactions, which is very similar to what you did at Crocs that we could use your help for. So can you come in an interview? And they had two attorneys going on maternity leave back to back. So it had been eight months where they were going to be shorthanded. So they kind of brought me in uh, for an interview and I kind of just fell into it. And so it was one of those things that shows like, hey, just keep networking, keep meeting people. And eventually if you're kind and respectful, um, people are going to have that oh crap moment and they're going to need help and you'll be the first person they think of. 
So when students hear that advice, and, and a lot of people will say that, just go out and meet people, a lot of the rebuttal from them is, what do I have to offer somebody who's, you know, X amount of years into their career? How did you kind of circumvent that? When you reached out to people, what did you say to them? Well, it was not necessarily, it's not transactional per se. It's not, I want a job, so come get, meet me. I'll tell you how cool I am. No, it's not that at all. It's more of, let me learn from you. And let me, I, I need mentorship in this situation. So I'm not, they know I have nothing to offer them. I can tell them some interesting stories about ski school and some time at Crocs and maybe I can get them a free pair of shoes, but that's really, yeah, I'm not going to, they're not expecting anything from me. It's more so let's, let me throw myself out there and let me learn from these people and kind of approach it as more of a mentoring relationship and that's how I approached it rather than what am I going to give someone? They know that you're not going to give them anything and they know you're looking for a job. But people, what I've realized is people love to talk about themselves, yep. <laughs> uh, especially attorneys. And I'm sure you guys realize it too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and people like want to be listened to and appreciated. And so and I approached it from a genuine perspective, like getting to know someone and genuinely learning about how they got to where they are and kind of taking from that what I want to and continuously learning and growing. So that's that's how I approach it. How did uh, this current job come about? How'd you get this? So take everything I just said about getting to know everyone in the, your city's legal community and throw it out the window because <laughs> I just applied online and got lucky. Um, <laughs> I had applied for probably hundreds of jobs online and sometimes I would get an interview, sometimes I get a call back, but mostly it was just, nope, no thank you or not even an email back. And so this one, I had put myself in the right position by having enough experience. I had been patient in waiting to apply for a job. So I had a year and a half of experience coming into it and then was able to be qualified for the job right off the bat and having enough interview experience by getting rejected from hundreds of jobs. I was able to kind of present myself to them as a candidate who could help meet their needs. And then we always close the interview with a kind of a reflection piece. What would you tell your 18-year-old self today? For me, at least, uh, my 18-year-old self should know that everything's going to be fine. You're going to have ups and downs, and you have the support, the wonderful family, the wonderful friends, and the drive to kind of handle whatever life throws at you and the ups and downs. And you're going to have a ton of fun. And so don't ever forget to keep playing and to keep enjoying your life and finding joy in the little moments. That wraps up part two in the space-based law series. Huge thanks to Baker Arena for sharing his wisdom throughout this experience, a day in the life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of a commercial space and technology attorney. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com slash students. That's xaditl.com slash students. 
Thanks for listening. Head over to exadiddle.com. That's X-A-D-I-T-L.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T Poe. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.